Politics, football, faith, and theology. You're listening to Podcast, and I'm your host, Daniel. This episode is, I guess, a mixture of politics and theology. Uh, It's about something that happened uh, over this past week. I first heard about it last Tuesday as I was reading the Babylon Bee. Uh, The way that I get my news often is I read the Babylon Bee. It's a satire site, and I come across an article. I don't know what they're joking about. They're usually making some satirical joke about an actual news story, and so I had to Google, you know, what's the actual news story. So this satirical article mentions the Des Moines Register. So I just Googled Des Moines Register, and sure enough, uh, Google is full of results about this uh, event that happened with the Des Moines Register. So there was a football game. It all started with a football game. So this is a, maybe this is a football and politics and theology episode. Uh, starts in football, then goes to politics, then theology. Okay, so, a uh, but it was it was not an NFL game, sadly. It was a college game, uh, University of Iowa versus Iowa State or something like that. Two Iowa schools that no one cares about, uh, except for my ex roommate. And there was a guy standing in uh, in the stands, and he was holding a sign that said, "His beer supply needs replenished." It should have said "needs to be replenished," but that's all right. You only have so much room on your sign. And uh, I think he specifically mentioned Bush Light, which I don't know why you would drink that kind of beer. From what I've heard, I've, ne- I've never actually tasted the stuff. Um, but he he's had his Venmo number, and people started sending him money. And once it got over $100 or so, he decided that he was going to donate it to charity. I think he was going to donate to like uh, one of the hospitals associated with one of the schools that he was probably the one he was cheering for. Okay, so this is a great, great little story. And then the donations started pouring in once people realized that he was donating it to charity. They wanted to be part of it, and he ended up getting over a million dollars in donations. And then, of course, when something like that happens, the newspapers get interested. So the Des Moines Register decided to profile him, and here's where it gets interesting. This guy's name was Carson King, by the way. And uh, they assigned a guy named Aaron... Hold on just a second. The guy's name was Aaron Calvin. He works for the Des Moines Register, was assigned to profile Carson King. And in his research, before he interviewed King, Aaron Calvin looks through King's Facebook page, or maybe it was Twitter, I don't know, um, which is a reasonable thing to do. But he, he scrolled farther and farther down, and eventually he found these uh, questionable tweets or Facebook posts or whatever from... About eight years ago, I think, uh, back when this guy was 16 years old, and he had apparently made a racist joke. I don't know what the joke was. I don't really care what the joke was, but uh, apparently it was was pretty racist against black people in, in some way. Intended as a joke, probably, but very, very poor taste. And so in his interview with uh, with Carson King... This reporter decided to ask him to confront him about these tweets, you know, showed him the screenshots of tweets that he had posted back when he was 16 years old and uh, somehow thought that this would be relevant to the article. And uh, I think his editors had actually directed him to do that, to, to confront this guy and ask him about these. And he apologized, of course. You know, there's no, no excuse for it. And he didn't make one. He said, yeah, that was wrong. I'm sorry. And uh, he actually held a press conference to preempt this news story coming out because he knew that it was going to get published and he just wanted to get the story straight and say, yeah, this was wrong, I'm sorry, and all that. So the Des Moines Register goes ahead and publishes this thing, and here's uh, where it gets funny. 
the whole internet starts getting furious at the Des Moines Register because everybody sort of realizes that cancel culture has gone too far. If you don't, if you haven't heard the term cancel culture, it's a term that people use to talk about exactly this sort of thing. The idea that if you, if any celebrity comes to to fame or prominence, we're going to look through all of his old tweets, find any dirt we can on him. Uh, sort of, it's, it's this exercise a lot of people go through purely for uh, they get some kind of kick out of uh, they call it canceling a celebrity or somebody who comes to prominence by showing that he's done something questionable 10 years ago, whatever. And there are people who will do this and get some kind of a kick out of it. It's happened to a lot of a lot of people. So uh, people sort of realized that this cancel culture has gone too far, that the Des Moines Register is participating in it, and realized, frankly, that this guy's old tweets from when he was 16 years old had absolutely squat, absolutely nada, absolutely zip to do with this story about his fundraising for a hospital. You know, it's a nice feel-good story, or it was, until uh, suddenly they had to drag this guy's old tweets into it. And everyone gets super mad at the Des Moines Register. And the Des Moines Register released this statement sort of defending themselves, sort of explaining, yeah, we're, we're, we recognize the issues involved and all that. And I'm going to read you some, some of that statement in a minute here. But... Uh, uh, there's, there's there's a lot of issues going on here. First of all, I, I'm actually happy to see the backlash that the Des Moines Register received because it was absolutely inappropriate. Let me just get that clear. It was absolutely inappropriate to do what they did and uh, even mention these tweets in this uh, article or these Facebook posts, whatever it was, and even to ask him about it, to confront him about these old Facebook posts during an interview uh, just some things don't need to be brought up. You know, like if I am a reporter and I'm interviewing somebody for some sort of a feature, I don't need to ask that guy, have you ever cheated on your wife? Or have you ever, uh, you know, made a racist joke? And if I happen to have some reason to think he has, if it's completely irrelevant, it's completely irrelevant. It doesn't have to do with this particular story. You don't have to sort of vet everybody's character and make sure that he's a completely spotless and pure person because, let's be real, nobody is. And here's where the, the theology comes into it. Because the truth is that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's you know, Romans 3, of course. That there is none righteous. Nobody is perfect and spotless. Now, what I want to talk about, though, is actually Alistair McIntyre. So Alistair McIntyre is a... Uh, I don't know, he's a philosopher or something. He wrote a book called After Virtue. That's the, that's the one that I've read. He's written some other stuff as well. Uh, but I've read this, um, not all of it, but most of this book called After Virtue. And he opens up by talking about moral disagreements. So there's a moral disagreement going on here, right? Uh, the Des Moines Register thinks that they need to publish this thing. The rest of the public thinks they don't. And it's, it's crazy how much of a unanimous uh, majority... Uh, disagreed with the Des Moines Register's decision. You know, we often, maybe as conservatives, we sort of feel like we're on the losing side of culture, that everybody's against us, that we're this minority that's just retreating, and this uh, identity politics is going way too far, and everybody's embracing it, it seems, and cancel culture is going way too far, and everybody's embracing it, and PC culture, and, and all that stuff that's all kind of wrapped up together. The truth is, it's really the elite progressive voices in Hollywood 
and in the media, like even you know, the Des Moines Register, the USA Today, the New York New Yorker, New York Times, whatever it be, we've got these these elites who are in control of everything you're hearing. The TV, the the late night shows where they're commenting on the news and pretending to be comedians. They're all a very, very tiny minority, and they're the ones perpetuating this cancel culture. And so whenever we turn on our TV or open up our internet, they're the ones we're hearing. And so we have the impression that cancel culture and and all the stuff wrapped into it has just dominated all of America. But the truth is, that's not the majority. In fact, judging by the response to this event... That's actually a very, very tiny minority. In fact, it's such a tiny minority that nobody's even no none of these uh, elites who who write these uh, news articles and uh, go on late night TV. I haven't seen at least when I've based on Google and you know Google's right up there with them in this progressive culture. I haven't been able to find a lot of results defending these people, defending the Des Moines Register, which is kind of funny because they're all uh, wrapped up together in this, but. That's how strong this backlash was. And that was actually, I was honestly, frankly, surprised by it. I did not expect that there was going to be such unanimous backlash. But there was. Even ABC News, I just watched a, a video on YouTube of on ABC News, and they seemed to be pretty much on the same page. They're like, yeah, this is horrible what Des Moines Register did. And, of course, this guy shouldn't be, you know, crucified for this dumb thing that he said as a teenager. Like, we've all said dumb things as a teenager. So people get this. And uh, and the sort of impression that we have that there's this uh, majority that's out to get us is, is maybe actually kind of wrong, and maybe I've even been a little too pessimistic. So so this is kind of encouraging. But um, but the other thing I want to say is is talk about this after virtue because McIntyre opens his book by talking about moral disagreements, just like this one, where there's people on one side and people on another, and they just cannot come to an agreement because they have fundamentally competing premises. And he says, imagine, he, he, he kind of compares it to science. He says, imagine if we like suddenly lost all of the scientific knowledge we have as a culture and all that survived was a few little fragments of scientific textbooks and people in the future pick these up and maybe they could recite words and phrases from science. They could talk about uh, you know, the theory of relativity, but really have no idea what it means or how it fits into a, an overall context of, of physics. They could talk about, you know, Euclid, but they wouldn't really know anything about mathematics. They would just maybe know how to state some theorems, maybe like, you know, the Pythagorean theorem, a squared plus b squared equals c squared, without having any idea what it means, like I feel like most uh, students I talk to do these days. Um, but maybe that would be everybody, and, and so on. And he says, you would have all of these sort of competing ideas and these fragments that you see here and there, but no unifying theory, and people could argue about science, and nobody would really be able to, they wouldn't be able to come to an agreement because somebody would have one little fragment and they take it out of context and don't fully understand it, and they're arguing one thing, and somebody else has some little fragment from something else, and they don't have it in context where they can actually understand it. And he says... People wouldn't even be able to know what they're missing because they haven't seen sort of the overall picture of how all of the different areas of science fit together and what they all mean. And so people wouldn't even know what they're missing. And he says that exact thing is what has happened to moral discourse, not only in America, but in the whole world. 
And he talks about it with philosophers, but I think it's even more true in cultural conversations because what we see in the American culture is a bunch of little fragments. People recognize that racism is bad. You know, people recognize that you shouldn't uh, be a jerk to a guy because of some dumb, silly little thing that he did when he was 16. You know, people, people recognize all these different little fragments, but people don't have uh, an overall unifying view of morality that allows us to have a conversation about how to address situations like this. Does that make sense? So, so we have these little fragments, these these ideas that we've sort of inherited from uh, maybe a, a Christian morality back when that was sort of a more accepted philosophy, right? We had this these Judeo-Christian ideas that you know back when America started out, most people would at least give lip service to saying they believed you know a lot of the Bible and believed a lot of Christian morality. And from Christian morality and Jewish morality and all that comes a lot of very important ideas that man is made in the image of God, that man has inherent dignity, that all men are created equal. You know, that's in the Declaration of Independence, but it comes from the idea that God made us. That's a Christian or Jewish or, you know, Muslim idea, that we are endowed with certain inalienable rights. Again, that comes from this uh, Christian outlook that... that and this, this Christian, Judeo-Christian understanding of the nature of man, that if you abandon that, and if you abandon, you know, McIntyre talks, I think he is a Christian, but he specifically talks about teleology in, and virtue, and the idea that man was created for a specific purpose, and just like a, um, uh, just like, you know, we might create a watch to run a certain way, God created man to act a certain way, and we should try to live in accordance with our teleology, our telos, our, our end, right? And so that's sort of the idea that is missing, McIntyre argues, from all of uh, contemporary moral discourse. And I think that that's true, and also the idea that man, uh, a lot of, you know, the, the sort of the groundwork that God created us to, to live a certain way is missing from not only philosophical moral discourse, but also public moral discourse. Now, I want to read this this statement from the Des Moines Register, or at least some excerpts from it. So this is them defending their decision. Some of the toughest decisions in journalism are about what to publish or not. People around the nation have been captivated by the heartwarming story of Carson King, the 24-year-old Iowan whose handmade game day sign asking for beer money prompted hundreds of dollars in donations. And then when he decided to donate the money to Steed Family Children's Hospital, hundreds of thousands of dollars poured in. On Monday evening, Register reporter Aaron Calvin was assigned to interview King for a profile. On Tuesday, as he worked to write the story, he did a routine background check on King that included a review of publicly visible social media posts, a standard part of a reporter's work on a profile. Calvin found two racist jokes that King had posted on Twitter in 2012. Calvin, so maybe seven years ago, I don't know. Calvin asked King about them, and he expressed deep regret. That prompted a discussion involving several register editors about how to best proceed. Should that material be included in the profile at all? The jokes were highly inappropriate and were public posts. Shouldn't that be acknowledged to all the people who had donated money to King's cause or were planning to do so? So the first thing to notice here is that this was not a decision they took lightly. They had a discussion about this with several different editors, and they considered the idea of not including this material at all, which of course was the correct thing to do, but, you know, it's good to know that at least they considered it. And yet they still made this decision 
And, and they, it says here, the counter argument is the tweet proposed seven years ago when King was 16 and he was remorseful. Should we chalk up the post to useful mistakes and omit the information? Nobody's good at omitting information. That's a, maybe a problem with journalism as well. But uh, but they are at least aware that, that these are important questions to ask. And it says, but it says, shouldn't that be acknowledged to all the people who had donated money to King's cause or were planning to do so? And the idea there is that because people are donating to King and because he has done something that was wrong when he was 16, people should know that because they might not want to associate themselves with somebody who has done this thing. I think that's the, the implied uh, argument is that people have a right to know if this person has posted racist tweets seven years ago because then they might want to let that inform their decision about whether or not to donate uh, to a hospital through him. Okay, so so the Des Moines Register obviously sees this this racist tweet as an incredibly serious, serious thing. So serious that a person might decide not to donate to a hospital because you don't want to be associated with somebody who has done this awful, awful act of posting a racist tweet. And my argument is that the Des Moines Register is actually right. Right to believe that racism is not just as bad as they think it is, but worse. Racism denies the image of God in another human being. And if it was done as a joke, okay, maybe you don't actually believe that black people are inferior or whatever, but but making a joke like that shows that you're not fully considering the perspective of somebody who might be hurt by what really is a mean joke. You know, I haven't read it, so I'm, I'm assuming, but, but it sounds like he acknowledges that it was mean and wrong. So you're not acknowledging the perspective of another human being who is made in God's image, who shares just as much as you do the image of God, and you are violating the image of God by failing to consider what would be right and how you ought to treat this fellow human being. Okay, so that's a very, very, very serious thing. The Des Moines Register is right to recognize that. This is, a, it's a, I say it's a fragment. It's a, just like McIntyre talks about how we have these little fragments of moral truth all over the place. It's a fragment of moral truth because they realize something very true about the gravity of sin that most of us don't think about very often. I don't think about the gravity of sin enough. This is something I, I want to actually understand the gravity of my own sin more because when I understand the gravity of my own sin more, I'm better able to appreciate all that God has done for me in forgiving it. And if I don't understand the gravity of my own sin, I don't appreciate the gospel enough. So the Des Moines Register is actually right to recognize the gravity of racism. It's so grave that it isn't unreasonable to think that you shouldn't associate yourself with somebody who has done this seven years ago. Okay, that is not unreasonable. But what the, what the Des Moines Register and what cancel culture in general does not understand is, first of all, that racism is not the only sin, right? There are so many other sins... Pride, laziness, greed, speaking in anger, malice, lust. There, there's so many sins that we don't assign this gravity to. And so the first thing we should do is, you know, realize that racism is bad. Racism is 100 times worse than the most 
you know, the person who's most eager to call out racism, it's a hundred times worse than that. But it's not just racism, it's every sin is a hundred times worse than that. And we need to, you know, that that's a truth. And, and when people talk about racism that way, they're just picking up on a very tiny fragment. But then the other thing that they're missing is that it isn't our place to condemn. It's God's place to condemn. It's God's place to say, I do not want to be associated with you because you have violated and rejected and denied the image of God in this other person. But then the other truth is that it's not only God's place to do that, but also that God loves sinners despite their sin and offers forgiveness, salvation, and justification through Jesus Christ. And so the the Des Moines Register says in their statement that their eventual decision, before you know the, this guy hadn't yet done his press conference yet, so that might have changed the article, but if he hadn't done this press conference, this is what they were going to do. We decided that we would, I'm quoting now, would include the information, but at the bottom of the story... We thought we should be transparent about what we had found, but not highlight it at the top of the story or as a separate story. Okay, so they're actually being somewhat reasonable here. They're not going to publish a story that's just sort of a shocking, hey, look, this famous guy actually, you know, had these racist tweets or whatever. They're going to include it as like a little footnote in the bottom just because they feel like it's important for you to know that this person has done this bad thing. It was planned as a few paragraphs toward the bottom of the profile. Okay, so here's what I think the Des Moines Register should do. Because they, like I said, they rightly recognize that that this person did this horrible thing and that, that that does affect who he is as a human being. So I think every time the Des Moines Register profiles a, a member of Adam's race, a human being, they should include this note at the bottom of the article. Editor's note. The person profiled in this article has participated in, approved of, and encouraged others in gravely evil actions on numerous occasions. Moreover, he has failed to do what he ought to have done many times. Although made in God's image, he has turned against the good God who made him, corrupted this image, and become a rightful object of God's eternal wrath. Nevertheless, he is also an object of God's infinite love, and Jesus himself, God's only Son, has died on the cross, bearing the sin of the world, so that anyone who believes in him, including the subject of this article, shall not perish but have eternal life. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the editor's note that the Des Moines Register should include at the bottom of every article, just to make sure that they don't leave you with the impression that this person is holy and perfect on his own merits. All right, that's about all I got. So just to, just to sum it up again, we have this, uh, this fragmented moral uh, argument going on because people are only realizing parts of the whole truth. The whole tr- To get the whole truth, you need to understand how God created us, and you need to understand the gospel, and you need to understand the gravity of sin, but also God's love, and the fact that we're all sinners. And then, uh, as, as McIntyre points out, we should expect this. When we, when we lose the foundation for moral language, it makes perfect sense that we have these fragments and these unending arguments. And uh, the truth about everybody is that we are all sinners, that the Des Moines Register did not get that wrong. They did not think that Aaron, not Aaron Calvin, they did not think that uh, that Carson King was worse than he was. He's actually worse than they thought, okay, but also more loved by God than they thought. And that's the other important thing. And we can praise God that he is willing to 
save sinners like me, like Carson King, like Aaron Calvin, who, by the way, this is another another fun little aspect of that story. The reporter who unearthed these tweets has his own tweets that he had to delete, and they got some screenshots, and and uh, the Des Moines Register ended up firing him, and they they kind of you know pinned the whole thing on the reporter as if it was all his fault. It really wasn't. He had you know the editors had directed him to do all this. Um, so nobody really, you know, Aaron Calvin doesn't understand. He blames right-wingers for all of this. It's it's not their fault. It's it's the Des Moines Register's fault, and it's Aaron Calvin's fault because he shouldn't have, he should have known better as well. But it's really is the editors of the, the Des Moines Register who are really in the wrong here. And I think people are recognizing that. But then the other thing is there, there's so much hypocrisy going on here. You know, and that's that's another fragment we have. We all recognize that hypocrisy is bad, but we only recognize that in other people. So, you know, the, the Des Moines Register fires this guy. This guy is a hypocrite because he calls out these tweets when he's posted his own offensive racist stuff. The Des Moines Register fires him, blames him for it, even though they're the ones who directed him to do it. And then, you know, Everyone else, all these other news organizations are uh, kind of heaping on the Des Moines Register, even though uh, they all participate in cancel culture, too. And so we've got just hypocrisy all over the place. And, you know, that's something that we're all guilty of, of course, is hypocrisy in various various ways. But that's all I got for today. I just wanted to say say a few thoughts on this whole event because I thought it was interesting and there was a lot going on here and it's a good way to tie politics, uh, football and faith and theology all into one episode which I don't know if I've done before by the way, my web, my I have a new website for my podcast it's now just podcast.com that's pfftpodcast.com you don't have to do all that Wix site slash list and all that it's just pfftpodcast.com so remember that. I have an RSS feed. Hopefully I'll be on Spotify and iTunes and all those other places uh, controlled by the corporate conglomerate pretty soon. So, uh, yeah, I hope you you know look for me there. Look for me on my website. Bookmark it on your favorite browser, although it's now easier to remember the, the name, hopefully. And please join me next time. Thanks for listening.